great way to start our morning, singing the Lord's praises and being reminded of those amazing truths. And uh, what a great encouragement. Well, hey, I want to welcome uh, all of you to worship with us this morning here at Lakes Free Church. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if we haven't met, I know we've had some visitors here in recent weeks. My name's Pastor Jason, and uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Lakes Free, and it is so great to uh, have you joining us for worship. I also want to say hello to uh, those of you watching us online this morning. Uh, we've had uh, hundreds of people each week watching our services online, so while many of our friends aren't with us in person... Uh, we're grateful that uh, you're able to join us online. So I just want to say hello to you and uh, thank you for being a part of our worship service this morning. We pray it's a, a blessing to you as well. Uh, this morning, as you came into worship today, you may have noticed some of the progress in our uh, renovations that are happening here at the church. Uh, what did you guys think of the new carpeting when you came in this morning? Did you like that? Yeah? All right. Well, I... I think, uh, I think it's looking great, and uh, we can't wait to show you uh, the rest of the building. Uh, God has been doing some awesome things here over the summer. Uh, right now, our hope is that by August 23rd, uh, that's kind of our target date. We're hoping that afternoon that we can do an open house uh, where we can invite you to come in and uh, see the sanctuary and all the work that, that's been done in there. Uh, it's really exciting, and some awesome things are happening, and uh, so far, those who have seen a behind-the-scenes uh, preview have been really thrilled. Uh, it's looking just absolutely tremendous. So thank you for being a part of that and your contributions. Uh, God has been faithful. We, faithful. we continue to see uh, giving towards our renovation project. We're not quite at our ultimate goal, but man, each week we're, we're inching closer and closer, and uh, it's going to be really great when we're able to be back in the sanctuary worshiping together. Uh, God's doing some great things here at our church, and we're really, really thankful for that. Now, uh, just one quick announcement for you this morning. On uh, August 23rd, we are going to be having baptisms that morning here at Lakes Free Church. And so I wanted to uh, let you know if, if baptism is something that you haven't yet had an opportunity to do as a follower of Jesus, if it's something that you're interested in and considering, uh, we would love for you to be baptized on that Sunday, August 23rd, uh, at one of our two services that morning. Pastor Stephen is going to be having a baptism information meeting next Sunday night right here in the sanctuary. It's next Sunday evening. And so if you're interested in that, I'd invite you to uh, join us next Sunday evening for that meeting. Uh, I believe that meeting is at 6.30 p.m., but check your announcements. Uh, the, you'll get confirmation there. But uh, Pastor Stephen is going to go through what baptism is, uh, what we as a church believe about baptism, how we practice baptism here here at Lakes Free, and then some of the details of what that actual baptism service is going to look like uh, later in August. So I would really strongly invite you, or if you know of others who are interested in baptism, to come out and join us next Sunday for that informational meeting and uh, really be in prayer. If that's something that you've never done, that's a, an act of obedience. It's a demonstration of our faith that, that Christ commands his people to do. And so that's part of our uh, discipleship as God's people is to uh, follow him in obedience in that great act. So I'd encourage you to consider that. Same thing for you watching online this morning. If you haven't been baptized, come on out next Sunday evening here at the church sanctuary, uh, the gymnasium, our temporary sanctuary. And uh, we would love to have you uh, join us and consider that. Well, this morning as we begin... I want to ask you a question uh, as we continue our sermon series here in the life of Joseph. What is your earliest memory 
of being convicted by sin. When you think back on your life, what's your earliest memory of of having a conviction over your sin? I I know for me, I was thinking about that this week, and uh, the earliest memory I can recall, probably when I was around kindergarten, uh, maybe eight years old, seven, eight years old, I, I have this vivid memory of this incident that took place in my life as a little boy. We have a neighbor that lives across the street from uh, my family's home in Eden Prairie. Uh, one of the original neighbors in that neighborhood, his name is Don Fawning, a great man, uh, terrific brother in Christ. Uh, their family has been friends of our family now for uh, over 40 years uh, as neighbors right across the street from us. And I remember as a little boy one day, uh, my curiosity got the best of me, and so I made my way across the street over to uh, the Fawning's house and Lo and behold, their garage door was wide open, so I decided I'm just going to go take a look inside their garage, and and I started poking around in their garage, and wouldn't you know it, uh, there in the garage was a can of spray paint. And I'm thinking, you know, as an eight-year-old boy, this is cool, spray paint, wow, you know. I was curious, I wanted to see what this was all about, and, and so I, I pulled the cap off, and I shot it, and I realized, wow, paint's spraying out of this, this is cool. And so I took that can of spray paint, and uh, I went around the side of the Fawning's house, and wouldn't you know it, on the side of their house, there was this huge blank canvas there. I mean, it was just waiting for somebody to decorate it with some incredible eight-year-old level art. And so I took that can of blue spray paint and lo and behold, I started spraying and man, it was awesome. You couldn't believe the, the incredible things that you could do with this little can of spray paint. And so I just kept spraying away. Well, after a few minutes of spraying this spray paint, I began to have this weird sensation inside my gut, this feeling like, uh-oh, I've done something wrong. Now, there wasn't anybody there to see this, but there was something inside of me that just would not let me feel right about what had just happened. And so you know what I did? I went home across the street and I hid that can of spray paint in my garage. I hid that can of spray paint. I went inside my house and I tried to go on with life like nothing had happened except this feeling in my gut didn't go away. And my mom and dad quickly realized... All right, there's something going on with Jason because he's not acting right. He's not looking right. And I remember my dad coming and asking me, Jason, what's going on? Is everything okay? And in that moment, I just burst out in tears. (laughs) I broke down. My guilty conscience got the best of me. And I said to my dad, Dad, I did something really bad. And I told him about stealing the can of spray paint and spraying the Fonning's garage. And, you know, my dad, he was a great, he was a great father and uh, a great disciplinarian. He, he understood the, the balance of discipline and grace and love. And, and so my dad, he brought me into my bedroom. I remember that afternoon and he sat me down and we talked about what I had done wrong. We talked about how, how stealing is wrong. We talked about how, how vandalizing and defacing other people's property is wrong and, and how there is consequences for our sin. And I remember my dad and his, his love, uh, he spanked me that afternoon. And, uh, and my dad, whenever he would spank me, he would always follow that up with, with hugs and words of love and affirmation helping me understand that his discipline was a way of helping me to grow in my knowledge of God and what God desires for our lives. 
But, but the hardest thing about that experience was when my dad said, now, Jason, we're going to go across the street and apologize to Mr. Fawning. I remember my heart just sank because I was thinking, uh-oh, man, now I'm going to get it. I mean, it's one thing to be confronted by my dad who loves me, but, man, Mr. Fawning, he's going to yell at me. He's going to be so angry and ticked off at me. And I remember we walked across the street, and with great fear, I, I went to Mr. Fawning's door, and we knocked on his door, and he answered his door, and I explained what I had done, how I had stolen that can of spray paint, how I had sprayed on his garage. And to my amazement, Mr. Fawning didn't respond in anger. He didn't respond by yelling abusive names and terms. He, he responded with grace and love and kindness. And, and yes, he was disappointed, and he shared his disappointment. But I remember him also saying that he believed in me, and he believed that God would use this in my life to, to help me grow and become a, a better young man as a result of this experience. And, and then Mr. Fawning took me outside, and he worked alongside of me as we worked on scrubbing that spray paint off the side of his house. It was a great model of love and kindness that I saw that afternoon. You know, I learned a number of important lessons that, that day. I learned the reality of guilt and how Pastor Stephen last week in, in his just excellent message, if you didn't get a chance to hear Pastor Stephen's message, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. How Pastor Stephen talked about the grace of guilt and how God uses the grace of guilt to, to bring us back to repentance I learned that afternoon that sin against man is also sin against God. And how sin, all sin, is ultimately rebellion against God and His holy will. I learned that sin demands justice. That, that there's a penalty for our sin. And most importantly, I learned that there is kindness and grace available in Jesus Christ. You know, friends, these are lessons that all of us need to learn. And these are lessons and truths that our world desperately needs to understand. Now more than ever. And today, as we return to our study here in the book of Genesis, in the life of Joseph, continuing where we left off last week at the end of chapter 42, Today, I want us to recognize that at the heart of Joseph's brother's story and their experience in Egypt, at the heart of all of this is God working to reveal these very same truths to his chosen people, to the ones who would ultimately become the nation of Israel. You see, friends, God was at work in this story, molding and shaping his people he, he was forming them into the vessel that would ultimately become the nation of Israel, his means of conveying these same truths to the wider world. This section of Joseph's story is all about God doing a work of transformation here in his people's lives, a work of sanctification. And friends, all of us this morning need God's sanctifying work in our lives. We all need that same molding and shaping, just like Joseph's brothers. And so, like his brothers, we need to understand these important truths. And we need to submit ourselves to the lessons that God has for us here in this story. 
the lessons that he taught Joseph's brothers, the lessons that he wants to teach each one of us here this morning as well. This morning we're going to see three lessons here in our ongoing story of Joseph's brothers in Egypt. We're in chapter 43 this morning. And the first lesson that we're going to see in the story of Joseph's brother's ongoing experiences and journey in Egypt is the burden of guilt. We're going to look again this morning at the burden of guilt. Let's read together Genesis chapter 43, verses 1 through 18, as the story continues to unfold for us. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me. And we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother, Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. Now, friends, if you remember from our story last week, This morning's story here in chapter 43 picks up with Joseph's brothers returning to Egypt. They they had used up all of the food that they had brought back from Egypt, and their father Jacob sends them back, and and they follow the conditions Joseph had set. They They brought his younger brother Benjamin back with them. 
But here we see at the end of verse 18, Joseph's brothers in fear having been brought into Joseph's house. Remember, they don't know that the man, this official of Egypt, is really their long-lost brother Joseph. What they think is that they're about to face the consequences of their guilt. If you remember last week in Pastor Stephen's sermon, he talked about the grace of guilt and how God often uses the burden of our guilty consciences to bring us back into repentance. We saw last week in chapter 42 how God initiated this process of of burdening Joseph's brothers with their guilt through his questioning, through his his inquiries of them, and, and not revealing to them who he truly was. We, we saw last week in verses 21 through 28 this series of this cascade of ongoing guilt as they began to be confronted with the reality of what they had done to Joseph. We, we see in verse 20, his brothers say, we are guilty concerning our brother. They, they then say in verse 21, that is why this distress has come upon us. In verse 22, there now comes a reckoning for his blood. And then down in verse 28, what is this that God has done to us? The first acknowledgement of God by Joseph's brothers in this entire story. And here we see how God was moving upon their hearts, confronting them with the reality of their sin, burdening them with guilt over what they had done to their brother Joseph. Friends, for 20 years... 20 years Joseph's brothers had carried the burden of their guilt. Man, you know, for those of you who have carried the burden of guilt, you know that that's a tough burden to carry. Can you imagine for 20 years knowing that you sold your brother into slavery, knowing that you lied to your father and said that he was devoured by a wild animal? knowing that your brother had been sent away with merchants to a foreign land, that he would never be seen again, whether he was alive or dead, we don't know. And here for 20 years, these brothers had been wrestling, burdened with this guilt. Man, I'll tell you something, guilt is a tough thing to carry. For 20 years, these brothers carried this guilt. A lot of you this morning know what it is to carry the burden of guilt. I brought in a little illustration here with me this morning. This is a backpack filled with probably 30 pounds worth of rocks. And it's a heavy burden. And for those of us who have experienced the reality of guilt, our sin, our rebellion against God, we know that the burden of guilt can be very difficult to carry. We we know that going through life, walking with our guilt ultimately beats us up and it burdens us and it weighs us down and it discourages us from living life to the full as God intends for us. But so many people in our world carry this burden of guilt and they don't know how to deal with it. And so sadly, many people try to cover the burden of their guilt and and they try all kinds of things. Some people turn to, to entertainment and hobbies and leisure and recreation and they think, you know what, I can, I can cover up my guilt with, with other diversions and, and maybe that'll help it to go away. But the problem is, is the burden remains. The guilt remains. We, we just temporarily cover it up with other things. 
And, and when we begin to recognize that, that these things aren't working, we, we try other things. We, we say, well, maybe, maybe if, I, if I get involved in, in schooling and education, maybe if I throw myself into my career, into my job, maybe I can, I can cover up my guilt with, with those things. And so we try other things to assuage our guilt, to cover our guilt. But the problem is, is the guilt remains. The burden's still there. And so we walk through life with this burden that we can't seem to get rid of. And so we try other things. Some people try to medicate their guilt. Some people turn to, to alcohol and drugs and, and other, other vices to try to cover up their guilt, but, but the guilt remains. It's still there. And these masks, these coverings, they just don't satisfy. They can't take it away. You see, friends, God gives us the grace of guilt. He allows us to walk with the burden of guilt because he knows that there's only one source that can remove the guilt from our lives. There's only one source that will take the burden from us. And it's not all of these diversions and, and things that we turn to in the world. The only thing that can remove the burden of our guilt is by handing it off to Jesus. Jesus calls us to bring our guilt and our burden to him. He's the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who can alleviate that guilt. Last week, Pastor Stephen quoted from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where Paul says, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. God gives us the grace of guilt. He burdens us with guilt to, to prick our consciences, to, to help us to recognize that we have done something wrong. We have sinned and lived in rebellion against him and his holiness. Sin, whether any kind, against ourselves, against others, breaking God's holy moral laws, is ultimately a sin against him, our creator. And there's only one thing in this world that can alleviate that burden of grief, that burden of guilt, and that's Jesus. Godly grief brings repentance. And you see, friends, this is what God was doing here in our story of Joseph's brothers in Egypt. God was confronting them with their sin. He was forcing them to acknowledge the burden of the guilt that they had carried for 20 years. And he was doing all of this to lead them to their ultimate repentance. This past week, I, I thought about the story of Joseph's brothers, and, and I was reminded of another famous story of guilt and repentance. The story of that famous 18th century abolitionist, John Newton. If you know the story of John Newton, this man, probably more than any others, was responsible for the ultimate downfall of slavery in the British Empire. But John Newton didn't always begin his life as a man of God. He wasn't always a faithful follower of God's moral will for humanity. John Newton grew up in a Christian home, but as a young man, he rebelled against his Christian upbringing. He, he led a life of sin and immorality and debauchery. 
he, he joined the British Navy and he was actually kicked out of the British Navy because he was so immoral. John Newton, in his testimony of his early life, says that he made it his life's mission to not only sin as much as he could, but to actually lead others into sin and depravity. This guy was a wicked, perverse man. After being kicked out of the British Navy, he joined the slave trade. He joined up with a slave trader working in West Africa, enslaving people. This man was morally perverse. On one of the journeys on one of the slave ships as he was headed back to England, the slave ship encountered a violent storm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. As the ship was being rocked and ravaged by the storm and the waves, John Newton, believing that they were all about to die, cried out, God, have mercy! And Newton, in his testimony, says as he cried out for mercy, his very next thought was mercy. Mercy. What mercy can there be for me? Newton was burdened with his guilt over the life of immorality and rebellion and debauchery that he had lived. What mercy can there be for me? But Newton says in the next moment, suddenly the words of Scripture he had so long ignored came flooding back into his memory. For God so loved the world. For it is by grace that we are saved through faith. This is a gift of God. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Newton says, I recalled all of these truths of the gospel that my mom had shared with me as a young boy, and it was there in the midst of that storm that Newton found the peace that only the gospel of Jesus can bring. It changed his life forever. Later in his life, John Newton would go on to write what became the most famous song in the history of the church, Amazing Grace. There's a line in that great song where Newton says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." What does that mean, friends? He's talking about the grace of guilt. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." to be burdened with the reality of my sin, to be burdened and confronted with my sin against a holy God. T'was God's grace that taught my heart to fear. But then he goes on and says, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Friends, guilt is a heavy burden to carry, but don't despise its work in your life. Recognize guilt as a grace from God and let it drive you to him in repentance. The, the second lesson we learn in our story here of Joseph's brothers in Egypt, we see the, the blessing of kindness, the blessing of kindness. James Montgomery Boyce, that great 20th century preacher, once stated that law terrifies, but love draws. I love that quote. Law terrifies, but love draws. See, guilt is a heavy burden, but God's kindness is an abundant blessing. And this was the next lesson that God was going to teach his people here in our story. Let, let's read the second half here of chapter 43, starting in verse 19. 
So Joseph's brothers went up to, I'm sorry, so, so Joseph's brothers went up to the steward of Joseph's house and they spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our, our money in full weight. So we've brought it with us again, and we've brought other money down with us to buy food. Remember, they're they're wrestling with this guilt. What did God do to us? We're going to bring the money back. We're going to bring even more back. And we brought other money with us. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. The servant replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought out Simeon to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given them their donkey's fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present they had with them, and they bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brothers, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlled himself, saying, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at each other in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. What an incredible picture we see here. The blessing of kindness displayed by Joseph. Friends, I want you to imagine for a minute what must have been going through the minds of Joseph's brothers as these events unfolded culminating in verse 34 and they drank and were merry with him i mean just imagine the transformation that took place in joseph's brothers here were men burdened with their guilt terrified believing that they were entering joseph's home this this egyptian official facing impending judgment and now instead of facing judgment They're being blessed by the unexpected and unmerited kindness of Joseph. Of course, they don't know it's Joseph. They just believe that this Egyptian official, for some reason, is showering them with this unbelievable favor and blessing. Now, friends, we don't get to see how the story ends here in today's passage. You've got to come back next week for that. All right? I mean, it's going to be great. But what we're going to discover next week, here's a little preview, is that God was at work here through Joseph's amazing grace displayed to his brothers. 
You see, friends, God had already been working on their hearts through the grace and burden of their guilt. And now he was completing that work through the blessing of undeserved kindness. Isn't that incredible how God does that? The grace of guilt, the blessing of undeserved kindness working hand in hand. You know, that's exactly what the scriptures say about how God works to lead his people to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10, which we read earlier, the apostle Paul declares godly sorrow brings repentance. Godly sorrow, the grace of guilt, leads us to repentance. But you know what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans? In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Paul says that it's godly sorrow that brings repentance, but it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Friends, Paul is not being contradictory here. What he is sharing with us is two sides of the same coin. Two sides of God's holy, righteous nature and character and his amazing grace and love. God in his holiness and righteousness allows us to experience the grace of guilt to lead us to repentance. But then in his amazing grace and love, he showers us with undeserved kindness and compassion. Why? To bring us to repentance. This is who our God is. And I want you to notice, friends, the ways here in our story, the ways in which Joseph displays the blessing of kindness towards his brothers. And please understand, these weren't simply random acts of kindness on Joseph's part. Rather, what we see here in our passage this morning are actions that were sovereignly appointed and directed by God for the sake of his brothers, but also for our sake, friends so that we too might ultimately see God's ultimate revelation of kindness, which comes through the person of Jesus Christ, so that we too might be moved to repentance. See, friends, do you remember how throughout our series we've talked about the reality that Joseph is a type of Christ? Joseph, God gave us the story of Joseph to foreshadow and point us to Christ to help us see Christ through Joseph's life and actions. And friends, I want you to look at the ways in which Joseph blesses his brothers with kindness and the many parallels that we see to Jesus Christ. We see Joseph's kindness pointing us to Christ, number one, in how Joseph relieves his brothers' fears about the money. They bring their money back to Egypt. They bring even more money back to Egypt. They, they say to the steward, Here, here's all the money and even more. And Joseph, through his steward, says to his brothers, don't worry about the money. And friends, in the same way, Jesus offers us the blessing of salvation without price. We then see, secondly, how Joseph releases Simeon, his brother, from imprisonment. And friends, doesn't Jesus Christ also release us from the penalty of our sins? We, we next see in verse 24 how Joseph welcomes his brothers into his home with hospitality and friendship. And in the very same way, Jesus speaks to all of us as sinners. And he calls us friends, welcoming us into his presence. We see, fourthly, Joseph sharing with his brothers warmth and tenderness. 
And Jesus speaks to us with love and compassion. We see, fifthly, Joseph lavishing his brothers with a bountiful bountiful feast. And, of course, those of us who know Jesus Christ know that he has promised us the greatest feast of all for all of eternity in his presence. See, friends, just as Joseph pointed his brothers to the kindness of God, Joseph points us to God's kindness in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this morning, let me ask those of you watching online this morning, have you experienced God's kindness in Jesus Christ? Has his kindness moved you to repentance? Have you received and experienced these blessings? You know something, friends, you can. All of these blessings, all of these blessings can be yours if you simply turn to Jesus the one who welcomes sinners, the one who lavishes us with kindness, the one who gives to us amazing grace. This leads me to our third lesson this morning. In Joseph's kindness, we see the beauty of Christ. We see the beauty of Christ. You know, one of the things I find most beautiful in the story of Joseph is how Joseph doesn't initiate his reunion with his brothers with a lecture. You ever notice that, friends? Joseph doesn't initiate this grand reunion. 20 years it's been since he's seen his brothers. 20 years since they've been together in in the same room. And Joseph doesn't initiate this reunion with a lecture. And they deserved a lecture! Here's Joseph, the second most powerful man in Egypt. I mean, he could have snapped his fingers and these guys' heads would have been gone. And they deserved chastisement. They deserved... I mean, these guys were wretched, sinful men. I mean, liars. I mean, immoral. Blasphemers selling their brothers into slavery. I mean, these guys were morally perverse. They deserved chastisement. And yet Joseph doesn't start their reunion with a lecture. He starts their reunion with acts of love. And friends, isn't this the very same way that Jesus comes to us? Not with a lecture, but with love. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, friends, that word shows there is an interesting word in the Greek. That word shows is, is used in two ways. It it, it can mean to prove or to demonstrate. And and in that terminology, it's used in in light of a a court case, a lawyer making an argument. It it, it conveys the connotation of a a scientist demonstrating the proof of his experiment. It, it, It conveys the idea of a detective proving a case. It It's kind of a cold and sterile way of understanding that word. But it works. But the second way that word is used in the New Testament, shows can also mean to commend something. 
to commend something. Friends, have you ever commended something to another person? See, commending is to make an appeal to the heart. To commend is to share how much something has meant to you and you want someone else to experience that as well. And I think this is the way that Paul uses the word shows here in Romans 5 verse 8. Not in the cold, sterile, scientific, detective, lawyer way, but in the commendation of God's love to us. What greater way could God commend his love than by giving us the gift of Jesus Christ? God shows. God commends. He makes an appeal to our hearts in that while we were still sinners in rebellion against him, Christ died for us. Friends, the love of Jesus is revolutionary. And it's this revolutionary love that our world so desperately needs. If you've been watching the news in recent weeks, you'll know that we live today in a cancel culture kind of world. Have you heard that term, cancel culture? We live in a cancel culture world today, a world lacking in grace. It's a world where reconciliation has been replaced by retaliation. It's a world where benevolence has, benevolence have been replaced with boycotts. It's a world where dialogue has been replaced by disgust. I'm going to tell you something, friends. Our world today doesn't need more cancel culture. Our world needs more Jesus. Our world needs the beauty of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling, canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that Jesus doesn't cancel us for our sins. He cancels our sins for us. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the remedy for the sickness that plagues our world today. And it's the vision of the beauty of Christ and his amazing grace that God calls us as his people to show and to share with others. The world needs the beauty of Jesus today like never before. We don't need more bullies. We need more beauty. And there's no greater beauty in this world than Jesus. Friends, I hope you know the beauty and the kindness and the amazing grace that is ours in Christ. If you haven't turned to him yet in repentance, come to Jesus and experience the lavishness of his kindness and grace. And for those of us who have experienced that amazing kindness, that tremendous beauty, friends, what greater privilege in this world could we have than to share that with a world that so badly needs it today. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this story of Joseph and his brothers.
and how in this story, God, we see once again your incredible beauty, your amazing kindness, and how Joseph responded to his brothers' past hatred and evil and their guilty consciences by giving them amazing grace. And in that act, Lord, we see you pointing us to the ultimate giver of amazing grace, your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray that no one here this morning, nor anyone watching at home online this morning, would leave this message unchanged by your kindness and grace, by your beauty. Lord, confront us once again with the reality of our sin, that burden of our guilt, Lord, as we sin and rebel against you. But then, God, bless us with your abundant kindness and your amazing grace, which is found through Jesus Christ. God, help us turn our hearts towards you. May we confess our sins. May we come into your loving presence and receive your warm embrace and have that burden of guilt removed so that we too might walk in the beauty of Jesus Christ. God, let us live in that beauty. Let us display that beauty for the world to see. Our world needs that today now more than ever. Help us, Jesus, to be your people, your ambassadors of kindness and love, your testifiers of amazing grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning for our benediction, friends. It comes out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Following our benediction, as we've been doing in recent weeks, our ushers will dismiss you row by row. So I'd ask you to just please remain standing where you are or seated where you are until our ushers come to dismiss you. And now the Apostle Paul shares this. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. May God bless you this week. I love you, church. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.